Well, good evening. evening. Greet you in Jesus' name this evening. It is good to be with you. And um, as Brother John mentioned, he has um, been at our church uh, at least a few times. And uh, we got him up front to preach for us. And we're always thankful for that. But one of the downfalls of that is that usually it comes around the other way. And it's uh, payback time. But as we uh, pulled in here, one of the children asked, do we know anybody here? I said, no, I don't think you do. They said, well, do you know anybody here? I said, well, I know one fellow a little bit, and that's about it. So uh, looking forward to learning to know you a little better. And um, I want to extend a welcome to Tyrone. We have a, a large building with a small congregation. I, would, I call it a small congregation. It's uh, probably similar in size to this. And so we have room for lots of visitors, and um, and we enjoy having visitors uh, there in there in Tyrone. So if you get in the area, please um, come and stop in and visit us. John has my number, so if you need uh, overnight accommodations, call him and he can give you my number. Well, one advantage to weekend meetings or a Bible conference is that you pick a theme and you look at that theme from a number of different aspects. And so this weekend, our theme is building brotherhood. And I'm not sure why that theme was chosen. Um, but one blessing of not knowing people here is that I can come and I can just preach the word and I, I, I come very unbiased and I don't um, have any back background. And so... If you're like, if your congregation is anything like our congregation, you can grow in building brotherhood. It's not something that you ever attain, but you continue to grow in building brotherhood. So um, I believe this is a, a very relevant message for all of us here this evening. And the message titled tonight is Respecting Authority. Now, what does respecting authority have to do with building brotherhood? What is the connection between respecting authority and building brotherhood? <clears throat> and I didn't ask what they had in mind as far as respecting authority, if they're talking about civil authority or um, authority in the home or authority in the church or what authority they had in mind. We're going to primarily be focusing on church authority, although it is a package, I believe. Respecting authority, um, it can be, I wouldn't say it's impossible. Um, but it is a package of, of respecting authority and our attitude towards authority will affect how we view church authority, how we view civil authority and authority in the home and work and whatever all places that you, that you face authority and that you're under authority. And so I believe a lot of the principles that we have uh, tonight goes for all areas. We are going to touch a little bit on different areas of authority, but like I said, mostly touching on, uh, focusing on respecting authority. Open your Bibles uh, for an introduction to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'd like to read... Two verses here as an introduction. And just as a, a background while you're finding those verses, in the beginning of this, of this chapter, Paul is talking about the coming of Christ. He's saying that could happen any time. And uh, he says in verse 1, the times and the seasons, um, you know not. But he, t he goes on to say that it's going to happen and in verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Be careful, watch for that, for that day when the Lord is coming. And so think of that in the, as a background to these verses that we're going to read here in verse 12. He goes on then to say, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. So right here we have a connection between building brotherhood and respecting authority. Did, did you catch that in verse 13? He's 12 and 13. He's talking about respecting them and esteeming 
church authority very high and be at peace among yourselves. And he makes that connection. Why does he make that connection? Well, I think Paul understands that the two go hand in hand. His command here is is very strong. The command is not that we shouldn't disrespect authority, but rather it goes on the positive. It goes and it strengthens it even a whole lot more, and he's saying esteem them very highly. Not the negative, but the positive, and he's encouraging them to esteem them very highly. Why? Because of the dignity of their office, he goes on to say. Because of who they are. For their work's sake, because of their position, because of the authority that Christ has given them. And then right along with that, and be at peace among yourselves. Paul tells Timothy what the latter days will be like. If we go to, um, just keep your finger here in in Thessalonians and go a couple pages back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And notice what he says here and in, this, in these verses. He's telling us what the latter days are going to be like. And he says in verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And we'll stop reading there. But in the last days, Paul is saying that there's going to be a promotion of self. There's going to be individualism. There's going to be lovers of self. And I think we see that in the world around us, where people are loving themselves and they're going after whatever it is that suits themselves. And we see in the world where, where people are rebelling against authority we see it in the home we see it in almost every place that you look we see where people are rebelling against authority and i believe that we are living in the last days i was talking to a man from town that has been attending our church and he keeps he's a professing christian and he keeps talking about the rapture when is the rapture going to happen and he's just looking forward to the rapture and yesterday he told me he don't think it's going to happen. They've been looking, we've been looking for the rapture for so long. And I challenged him in some of these verses. And he believes the Bible. Yes, he believes it's going to happen, but he just he hopes it's not years or months or weeks. He hopes it's not even days. He hopes it happens soon. But we live in the last days, and we look at, at the marks of the latter days here. I believe it would tell us that we're living in the last days, and we need to be ready. But this goes directly against respecting authority like he talks about in Thessalonians where esteem them highly. Building yourself up. Heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, um, lovers of their own selves, boasters, proud, blasphemers, all these things go against respecting authority and submitting to authority. And so we see that here in the last days. Individualism, a push for individualism. Today, some may question the authority of church leaders. Some time ago, I had a young man that I was talking to and had been counseling with them and, and helping them work through some things in life. And uh, he told us that, that he, he's always careful what he says to church leaders because he's afraid, he's afraid they're going to come back and use it against him. And I, I was sad to hear that. But Paul makes it clear that leaders have authority. And that same young man challenged me. He said, he said, I listen to my dad more than I listen to church authority. You really don't have authority. Church, I don't believe the church leaders have authority in my life. And, uh, but Paul makes it clear, and there's numerous verses, and we're going to look at some of them tonight, that, that church leaders have authority, God-given authority that needs to be respected. And later we're going to look a little bit what that looks like. But first of all, going back to our verse here in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, he says in verse 12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. The labor of preaching the word, 
of contending for the truth, rightly dividing the word of truth to the congregation in knowing and encouraging the congregation in teaching instruction class and going to meetings and visiting the sick and and the elderly and all those things that, that go along with laboring among you. And the call is to know them that labor among you. And secondly, then, he says, and are over you in the Lord. He's talking about authority here. Know them that labor among you and are over you. He makes it very clear that there is a level of authority there. The Greek, um, as, as I looked up that word over you there in the Greek, it says to stand before as in a rank, to, pre- to preside or rule. And it's understood here that church leaders have authority. We have to balance out this idea of church authority and leaders having authority with other teachings of leadership in the Bible as well. And we're not going to get into it. That's not our subject here tonight. Jesus taught a servant leadership. And there's other, many other passages that talk about the accountability that goes on with leadership. And so we need to understand that and balance this out with, with that aspect as well. In 1 Timothy 5.17, he says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. This verse also brings out the balance of integrity in leaders and respect and, and honoring um, them. History would tell us that when there is faithful leadership and people that respect and follow, that good things happen, that there's unity that happens. History would tell us that. We can look in Old Testament examples. When God's people had a judge or king that was righteous and led the people in the ways of God, there was unity, there was strength, and God blessed them. But they also had kings and judges that led them into sin as well. But there was also times where it says that there was no king or there was no judge, there was no leader, and everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And we know how that worked out as well. It didn't work out very well. And it usually ended up in chaos and a falling away from God. We have New Testament examples as well. Paul was a missionary that went all over His missionary journeys, we look at them, they're recorded in the Word. And he started churches. And everywhere he went, people that accepted Christ and began to follow Christ began to meet together. And that's only natural that when people begin to follow Christ, they want to gather together and, and help each other. And it also says that wherever he went, he ordained elders in those in those groups. He ordained leaders to pastor these groups of believers. In Acts, I just want to, you don't need to turn to these. I just want to read a few verses here. Acts 14:23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Acts 20:17 and verse 28. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. 1 Timothy 2, 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And and one more yet, Titus 1, 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. So again, as Paul went through, this is New Testament example, where Paul went through, there was people that believed, and leadership was established to lead the people. And so faithful leadership brings guidance and strength to a brotherhood, and it brings unity. And when leaders take their place in teaching and admonishing, and lay it to respect them, then brotherhood will be built and the church will grow while going into the main part of the message as we lay that foundation of leadership having responsibility and having authority we need to recognize that and we need to understand that we want to go into our first point number one 
all authority is of God. And we need to recognize that tonight, that all authority is of God. I said in our, in our um, opening that we will focus primarily on church authority. But we want to briefly touch on two other areas of authority as well. Turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. In verse 1, he says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now later on, we'll look at some of the other verses here, but he goes on and he's talking about civil authority. But the general principle here of verse 1, I believe, applies to all authority. Because he says here that there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. And so there is no authority outside of God's authority. God is the only one that can give authority. And so this is a general principle that we, not, that we need to understand. All power is of God, and we are subject to them. And so... Let's go on to look at the rest of the chapter here. He goes on to talk about respecting civil authority. And uh, let's continue reading here, verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for, for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. And we'll stop reading there. I believe this passage makes it clear that civil authority is put in place by God. And we're here in, a, in the uh, election year. Elections coming up next week, and uh, we just had Mr. Uh, President Trump in our backyard uh, this past week, or just this week, I guess. He was right there about half an hour from my house, and I didn't go, go to the rally, believe it or not. But um, the nations of this world are not a part of the kingdom of God. They are not a part of the kingdom of God. And there needs to be a clear distinction between the two kingdoms. We need to understand that there is a difference between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. And there needs to be a clear line between that. And I believe that, and yet, even though there is a, a clear line between them, between them, God still has his finger in politics. And he can move in the hearts of people, and he will move the, the pieces to put in power who he, whom he wants in power. And I believe that. And I believe we have a responsibility to pray. And um, pray for our leaders and pray for the election. But as we look at the example of Jesus, Jesus never tried to change politics, but instead his focus was on the heavenly kingdom. But civil authority must be obeyed. This, this, this chapter makes it very clear that civil authority needs to be obeyed, unless, of course, it conflicts with God's authority. Because if we could picture civil authority being a principality of God's authority. And so a principality is a government operating within a larger government. And too often we think of the, of the two kingdom concept. And one thing I don't like about the two kingdom concept, and I don't want to get too far off, the, off our uh, subject here tonight. But one thing I don't like about the idea of a two kingdom concept is it makes it sound like there's two equal kingdoms. And you think of two kingdoms, you think of maybe two battles, and you're not sure who the outcome is going to be. Think of two sports teams that are playing, um, or maybe you children at school, you're playing, you're playing volleyball, and there's two teams, and you're not sure who's going to win. You can guess. One looks a little better than the other, but you don't know for sure who's going to win. And when we talk about the two-kingdom concept, that's what scares me a little bit because it puts in our mind this picture of two teams. We're not sure who's going to win and they're, they're equal, but they're not equal. And we need to think about 
Satan's kingdom as a principality. It is a kingdom operating within a larger kingdom. We have the example of Job, and we're not going to turn to that, but you know the story of Job and how he was a faithful man, he was a follower of God, and God says to Satan, did you notice my servant Job down there? Notice how he is faithful. And Satan said, yeah, but wait till you take all his, all his blessings away from him. And God said, okay, you can take all his blessings away, but don't touch his life. And you know the story, but Satan could only do what God allowed him to do. He was an authority operating underneath the bigger authority. And that is why I don't like the two kingdom concept uh, wording, because it is really a principality within God's authority. And so we must obey civil authority as long as it doesn't conflict with the larger government, if I can call it that, God's authority. That is number one. The church has always taken a stand to honor and respect and obey civil authority. I believe you look at, I shouldn't say always, there's times where they have lost out. You look at history. But there has been a faithful remnant of, of believers that have followed and, and separated themselves and yet have obeyed as long as, as long as they can. Of course, there's those that have refused to fight conscientious objectors and things like that because of the larger authority, the bigger authority, because of God's authority. And, of course, we have these this current current challenges today, and I'm sure you all have, uh, especially here on the front bench, have had many conversations about that. Um, what is the proper thing? How do we handle that uh, with the whole COVID challenges? And I don't think I ever saw such a variety of opinions and ideas as when it comes to um, how to handle this this conflict or this whatever you want to call it. And I believe we need to believe the best in each other and um, that we all have a desire to obey God and obey our government and respect our government. But I believe where the difference comes in is where does, where does those two lines cross? And that's where the difference is, and we all need to find that, that place. Well, so much for that. But the Bible makes it clear. Our focus isn't on civil authority tonight, but the Bible makes it clear that we need to respect civil authority. The second um, area I want to look at is in Ephesians chapter 5. We have authority in the home. Ephesians chapter 5. And this chapter is a uh, famous chapter to be read at uh, weddings and very fitting uh, passage for that. But we have here, and we're not going to take the time to, to read the chapter. I, I believe you're familiar with it, but he's talking about husbands loving your wives and wives submitting to their husbands. Um, verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And we'll stop reading there. But you get this idea. It makes it very clear. It lays out these foundational principles that the husband needs to love his wife and the wife needs to respect her husband. And so we have this foundation that is laid. And then after that, he goes into chapter 6 and he starts talking to you children. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. There is a blessing promised to those that honor and obey and respect their parents. And it's a beautiful picture when you have a husband that takes his role in the home, his position of authority in a very loving way, 
and he loves his children. He goes on to talk about how fathers should relate to their children and how he relates and loves to his wife. And you have a wife that takes her place in the home and respects her husband and supports her husband. And you have children that respect their parents. And it's a beautiful thing and it works well. And it is how God designed it. And we look out in the world and we see so many so many homes that are broken. It's a sad, sad world that we live in when the homes are broken. But respect for authority must start in the home. It needs to be taught in the home. It needs to be practiced in the home. And in the home, it needs to be an example. This is the first place all of us encounter authority or have encountered authority is in the home. And it doesn't take very long. Children show signs of rebellion to their authority at a very young age. Those of you that are parents, you know full well what I'm talking about. That child, it's amazing how small they can be. And you start to see that rebellion against their authority. They don't know what's going on, but there is that rebellion. There's that conflict between what their will is and what their authority is saying they need to do. And there's that conflict. And sometimes when children don't get what they want, they have a temper tantrum and things don't go well. Parents must be faithful in teaching respect for authority in the home. And the sooner you can start teaching that to your children, the better off it's going to be. Teach it young. Teach respect for authority. Teach obedience to authority. Later in life, the child will encounter other areas of authority. They'll encounter authority in the school. They have a teacher that they need to relate to, that they need to submit to and respect. Parents must help their children to respect and obey that authority in their life. You have a responsibility. And uh, it never ends well when a parent sides with a child against the teacher when there's an issue. It just does not end well. And I understand there may be times that a teacher maybe needs needs corrected. Maybe the, the teacher is inexperienced and needs some correction, but be very, very careful how you go about that. Go through the proper channels and be careful how you relate to your to your child in all that. But when there is a conflict between a child and a teacher, and the parent always takes the child's side, it does not go well. And you're teaching something to that child that is gonna that he's gonna take through life. And when he gets into other areas of, of authority, he's going to he's going to be it's going to be burned in his mind that he does not have to respect authority. Later on in life, the child will encounter authority in the church, and the same principles apply to church as well. Parents, you have a large influence on how your child views church authority. How you talk about church authority in the home will, will affect what they think about church authority as they grow up. How you relate and how you respect authority in your life as parents. Your children will see right through that. They will see how you respect or disrespect authority in your life. And they will pattern their lives off after that. If a, if a child... If children see parents disregarding speed limits and other civil authority, it's going to affect them. If children see parents that aren't loving and respecting each other, it's going to affect them. If children see parents not respecting church authority, it's going to affect them. And they will learn to not respect authority in their life. And so the challenge for you parents is start young. Be an example and teach it to your children. And in the third area, we want to talk a little bit more about the church. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And verse 18. Jesus is speaking and he says... And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose in earth shall be loosed in heaven. So in the introduction, we already somewhat laid the foundation of church authority. And we need to understand that Christ is ultimately the head of the church. He is the one that gives authority. We talked about how all authority is of God. And while Christ was here on this earth, he set up and commanded men to shepherd his church. He had the disciples, and when he, before he left, he gave them responsibility and the apostles to go out and to build his church. And so Christ gave them this, this authority, and he continues to use men to shepherd and guide his church today. He uses the congregation to choose men for that role, for that position But the church has authority, and the word of God must be the foundation of our authority, the foundation of the decisions that we make and the choices that we make. It must be what guides us in our personal life and in church life and in the decisions that we make and the rules that we make. I believe that church leaders have the authority to make practical application to Bible principles and this verse here, I believe, is speaking of two things here that Jesus is talking about. First of all, I believe that God recognizes the decisions that are made by the church. And when a church makes decisions, God recognizes that. And secondly, as I touched on before, decisions that are made by the church must be based on biblical principle. We have no business making Rules that do not have any tie to biblical principles. It must be tied to <clears throat> biblical principles. And I believe that is what Jesus is saying here. The New Testament example of church authority makes practical application. If we go back to Acts chapter 15, we're going to see an example here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. And I was amazed as I was studying how many different verses kept coming to my mind or I would come across it as I was um, looking at one passage and another passage would, would show up as it relates to church authority and respecting authority. But in Acts 15, there was some question that came up here regarding circumcision in the ver first two verses. And um, there was some discussion there about how that should be handled. And so the question was brought to the to a, uh, a conference ministers meeting at, at Jerusalem. They said, what are we going to do about here? So they took it to conference and they said, all right, here's the question. We need to take something back to our people. We need to make a decision. We need to get some guidance here. And um, they made some decisions. And we're not going to take the time to read that here. But if you read chapter 15, we have, they had some discussion going on there. Sound like a pretty normal ministers meeting uh, going on here. And then, um, they went out and I forgot to jot the verses down here and, but they went out and they, they, um, they, they went back and they told the congregations what they had decided and what the, what conference had decided. And if we go into chapter 16, um, they are going here. Let's see. I think it's Paul and I believe there's someone with him. And in verse 4, it says, And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and the elders which, are, which were at Jerusalem. So I would love to have a copy of, that, of those decrees and see what, it, see what it said. I don't know what all was in there. It seems like there was maybe more decisions that were made that aren't recorded here. But I don't know that. But as they went through the churches, they delivered these decrees for to keep and said, Here's what was decided back at conference. And here's how we're going to handle these things. And so we have some New Testament example here of where the church made practical application to biblical principle. And we need to understand that the church has that authority in my life. The church has the authority to make practical application to biblical principle, and I need to respect that and submit to that. 
Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Church leaders have a responsibility to watch over the flock. So they make practical application and they have a responsibility to watch over the over the flock that they are responsible for. And we have some very serious verses here, especially for me as a leader as I read um, these verses. In verse, uh, especially verse 17, but I want to read verse 7 here. Hebrews 13, verse 7. He says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And jump down to verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And so we have kind of a two-way street here in this verse. There's a responsibility of laity and a heavy responsibility on leadership. Church leaders will be held accountable how they shepherded their flock. They will be held accountable. And that makes it very serious. That makes the job of your leadership very serious. But laity is called to make the job easy for them. To make the job easy for your ministry. And when obedience and submission are there, it builds brotherhood. It makes it easy. There's unity. And it is a blessing to your leaders that take their jobs seriously when there is a con- when there's a congregation that submits, willfully respects them, and obeys them, just like it says here in verse in verse 17. Because you cannot separate respect for authority from obedience and submission from authority. You cannot connect the two. Uh, you, you cannot separate the two. The second thing I'd like to look at tonight is that resisting authority is equal to resisting God. We made it, I hope we made it very clear tonight that that the authority that is given is given by God and that there's no authority outside of God. God gives us authority. And so disrespecting authority is disrespecting God. Because disrespecting authority is disrespecting the authority God puts in our lives. And there is a current trend to disguise disrespect of authority as questioning authority. No, I don't disrespect authority, but I question authority. I don't know if you ever heard that or not. I I wouldn't say, maybe I shouldn't say that it's a, it's a, um, a current trend but I believe it's out there. Where we, we want to put a little better face to rebellion. You don't want to say that you rebel to authority, but I question authority. And it's just supposed to sound a little bit better. I do want to say that it's biblical for you to take what I am saying here tonight and what your ministers say and to search the scriptures to see if it be so. The Bereans did that. And when the apostles came and preached to them, they grabbed their Bibles and they said, is this really true? And they studied their Bibles and they said, wow, that is true. And they believed. And so you do have that responsibility to hold your leaders accountable to that. But the undercurrent of question authority is a disrespect for authority. And I want to say tonight that you can obey authority without respecting authority, but you can't respect authority without obeying authority. The two go hand in hand. Rebelling against authority originates with Satan. As you think of Satan and how he was thrown out of heaven, it was Satan that first rebelled against God. He wanted to be as the highest. He rebelled against authority in his life. He didn't want authority in his life. He wanted to be the highest. He wanted to be the biggest. And he was thrown out of heaven as a result. And Satan will pay the price for that rebellion. And all that partake in Satan's rebellion will partake in his his, um, punishment. 
can't think of the word I want, but yeah, can't, he, they'll, they'll partake of his punishment as well. And they'll suffer with him. But God takes disrespect and rebellion against authority very seriously. Let's go back to an Old Testament example of Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. And this is not a unfamiliar story to you. But we have the story here of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And how they rebelled against God and, and the authority that God had set up. And they took followers with them. Start reading in Numbers 16, verse 1. Now Korah, the son of... And I'll just jump over that. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram basically is what he's saying. And then verse 2. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And we could continue reading there, but we're going to stop, stop reading there for the sake of time. But he, they go on there and there's some... There's some talk back and forth. And Moses called them out for rebelling against God. Look at verse 11. For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord? And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? So he's calling them out. He's saying, why do you gather against the Lord? And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? And later on, God, he tells Moses and Aaron to step back. He says, I'm going to destroy the congregation. I'm going to get rid of them. And they intercede for the congregation. But later on, God deals with, with these men. Look at verse 28. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quickly, quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as they had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods." They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them. For they said, Lest the earth swallow up us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 that offered incense. You see the punishment that God brought on those that rebelled against the authority that he had set up for his people. And they questioned this authority. They were questioning, why have you lifted yourself up? Are you so much better? Putting it in my own words, are you so much better than everybody else? Why do you lift yourself up? And Moses said, now wait a minute, I didn't lift myself up. God put me in authority. God put me in this position. And you could go back and, you, and you could, we know that Moses didn't really want this position. There's probably most of us could say that that are in positions of authority. But God put us here. And God expects respect for the authority that he sets up in your life. And he dealt this punishment on these three men and all those that rebelled with them. God takes disrespect and rebellion against authority very seriously today. We go back to the New Testament, and I um, I realize I'm jumping around a lot here, um, but if nothing else, it'll keep you awake tonight. Second Thessalonians, um, <clears throat> chapter three, and verse six. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. 
So again, this is Paul writing, and he's telling the church, he's saying, withdraw yourself from those that aren't respecting, that aren't obeying what, what we have laid out, the doctrine that, we have, that we're teaching. In other words, he's saying, if there's those that are rebelling against what I am teaching, withdraw yourself from them. Get away from them. Separate yourself from them. And Paul tells us in, in Romans 13 in verse 2, that, that verse that we read, that those that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. If we resist the authority that God has ordained, we are inviting damnation into our lives. God will judge those that resist authority in their lives because res resisting authority is equal to resisting God because God has set up the authority. Number three, just to summarize where we, what we've said so far, and then I want to get into just a few practical areas in closing. We must respect authority because God commands it. God commands us to respect authority in our life. Not only does God command it, but he looks seriously on those that don't. The ultimate way that we can respect authority, I don't think I said it in these words, but We've been talking about this. The ultimate way to respect authority is to obey them, is to obey authority. We may not always understand why authority in our lives require what they do. We may not understand why our leaders go off to conference, why they go off to Jerusalem, and they come back with these decrees for to keep, or whatever you call your decrees, why we have to do the things that we have to do. We don't always understand that. But we don't have to always understand those things. Children don't always know why parents and teachers requires, require what they require of them either. Church members may not always understand or, degree, or understand or even agree with the decisions that, that their leaders make. And I would say, especially youth, as I think back over my life, especially when I was a youth, there was lots of things that I was that I wanted to rebel against in my heart because I didn't understand why it had to be this way or why it had to be that way. But it is good for us to submit, even if we don't always understand, because sometimes our leaders have a different perspective. And we remember that they're put in charge to protect us and to guide us and they will give an account so they have that responsibility and so we need to re we need to submit ourselves to them and as i get older i'm starting to understand some of those things that ah now i know why they make some of those decisions we must believe in the integrity of our authority that they make decisions to protect us We shouldn't get to the point in life that we feel authority makes rules just to control us. Well, the only reason you do that is because you want to control us. We shouldn't get to that point in life. And if that is our attitude towards authority, we will not be able to respect them. And we must respect church authority because they are responsible for our souls. But I want to get now into a few other areas and more practical ways that, that we can... Um, that we can uh, respect authority. Number one, respect authority by having open communication with them. There are several different aspects to this, but communicate with them about what is going on in your life. Be open. I have a, there's a brother at Tyrone that communicates very well with me, and he will almost always tell me if they're not going to be at church the next Sunday. And he'll come to me after church and say, hey, I just want to let you know, next Sunday we're going to be at serving as house parents at Shepherd's Fold, so we won't be here next Sunday, but Lord bless you if you're preaching, whatever. Or we're going to be at this church, or we're going to be visiting, or we're going on vacation. He'll always tell me. He just communicates with me. And just this week, or no, I'm sorry, just last week, he called me specifically just to tell me that, hey, on Sunday we're not going to be at church. And I appreciate that. I'm not saying it has to be done, but it's just a way of communication and it's, it's, it's respect. And he respects his authority and he communicates with them. Initiate conversations with them. Be open to them about what you are facing in life and your struggles in life 
and what you're going through. Communicate with them. Be open to them. Because if you're leaders, which I'm guessing they are a lot like I am, sometimes you don't know what all, what all you should be asking and how, how much to dig into your personal lives. But just be open and offer information. Communicate with them about concerns that you have. A few years ago, we had um, at church, we went through a little struggle and there were some undercurrent things uh, going on that we didn't realize. And right before Council on Communion, this, this all came out and realized there was a, a break in trust and, and there, was, there was no communication. And so we postponed our council meeting and, and communion. And rather than the night that we were going to have council meeting, we had a brother's meeting and we talked about these things. And that was a hard, that was a hard time. It was a hard meeting but I appreciated the communication. And basically it came down to a lack of communication, what was going on. We as church leaders didn't do as well as we should have in communicating in, in some things and making, making some things clear. And, um, and this led to questions that some of the laity had and they didn't communicate with us. And rather it spread throughout the congregation and became a huge deal. And so we finally sat down, we talked about it and we communicate, we all went around and, and gave everybody an opportunity to share. And us ministry, we were able to share where we were at and we realized that a lot of it was just a, a lot of misunderstanding going on that communicating would have avoided all that. And so if there is questions or concerns that you have, don't let it fester, don't let it spread. Communicate with them. Give your authority the benefit of the doubt and talk to them. Communicate and respect authority even in times of conflict. Yes, I'm sure that you don't agree with your, with, uh, with your authority all the time. But even when there are times of conflict or times of, of um, differences, communicate, be open. And I believe that is a way of respecting authority. <clears throat> and there must always be respect both ways. Um, leadership to to the laity as well. And so respect authority by having open communication with them. Number two, respect authority by building relationships with them. And this is very closely tied to number the number one. Well, there was a young man that, uh, actually it was the same young man that I talked about earlier, but I've it just always felt that he held us ministry at an arm's length. It just, you, you couldn't get close to him. And, um, like I said later, he told me there's he's always careful what he says to church leaders because he's afraid they'll use it against him. And there's a deeper problem that lies with, with an attitude like this. But don't hold your ministry at arm's length. Don't hold authority at a distance because of their position. Church leaders are human just like you are. Just like everyone else. They make mistakes. They, they have misunderstandings. They have feelings and struggles and temptations just like you do and everyone else. And so build relationships with them. They need encouragement just like you do. Don't hold leaders at a, at a different level of standard as you do yourself. And I don't know, I'm not familiar with, with your conference, and um, so I'll, I'll say this. I, I worked with a man, um, and I'll, I won't mention what church he was a part of, but when I first started working with him, he was not ordained. And uh, partway through after a number of years, he, uh, he was ordained into the leadership, and there was a drastic change in, in, his, in the way he acted, in the way he dressed, the way, a lot of different things. Because in their church, there's a whole different level of standards that, that leadership go by. And I know it can be easy for laity to hold their to hold their authority at a, at a different level of a standard, but build relationship with you, treat them as one of your own, respect them for their position of authority, but not holding them to that different level. So build relationships with them. Number three, number three, respect authority by supporting them. There are many ways that you can show your respect for your leaders. 
You can support them by praying for them. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. So we have a responsibility to pray for those that are in authority over us, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. When was the last time you prayed for or interceded for or gave thanks for the authority in your life? Tell your leaders that you are praying for them. Again, going back to the communicating, communicate with them that I'm praying for you, but don't just say it, make sure you do it. Make sure you're praying for them and tell them. Send them a message. If you know that John or any of the other brothers are preaching on Sunday morning, send them a message Saturday night. Say, brother, I'm praying for you. Or call them. Or whatever. Let them know. Support them. And they will feel respected when you do that. Support them by encouraging them. Let them know that your praying is a form of encouragement. Let them know what you received out of their message. Not just, uh, I was blessed and, and you go on, but what blessed you? What point did you like? What point are you going to take home? What blessed you from the message? Thank them for what they are doing and the sacrifice that they're making. Support them financially. It takes time to prepare sermons, to go to meetings and visitation and all that goes along with, with being a pastor and being a bishop or deacon. Let's spend hours in the Lord's work. And I don't believe you all believe, uh, have salaried ministry here. I don't think you do. We don't either, and I think that's good. I don't. I'm not. I'm not at all. Um, I don't all think we should. But the problem with not having salaried ministry or paid ministry is that it can result in some difficulty for young ministers to make ends meet at times, with the time off work, and they feel pressured to get the, their hours in, and then. They get home in the evening and they need to study, and then usually what happens is family time suffers, and uh, and that's not good e either. And so I believe, I'm guessing you have love <clears throat> love gifts or love offerings or ministerial aid offerings. Support them in that, or um, even outside of that, that they don't need to feel stressed taking off work to study or for a meeting. But there is also a danger in how money can corrupt as well. We need to recognize that. But there's other ways that you can support them. With resources. We have been blessed with a family, the same, the same brother that, um, that tells me when he's leaving. They have given us meat sometimes. Uh, there's another family that raised some beef and um, told us that, hey, they have a, I forget now if it was a quarter or a half beef that they want to give us. Um, just gave it to us. Put some bag of groceries in their car. Help with specific needs. We have um, our bishop. A number of years ago, I think it was before he was bishop. Um, I know they needed a car, and the congregation went together and bought them a car. Uh, this is one way that they supported and respected their leader. Buy study books for him. These are always a benefit. Another uh, brother does well. It just allowing me to use whatever I need of his for free. And actually, he, he does that real well and for everyone in the congregation. He says, it's not mine anyway, it's the Lord's, so just come use it. If you need it, come get it. You can support by volunteering your time, offering to babysit, um, offer to come stay with the children so uh, the couple can go out uh, for an evening. <clears throat> or offer to split wood for them, or wash a vehicle, or whatever. The list goes on. There's many ways that you can support and show your respect to leadership. But all these things that I just mentioned are secondary to the first ones that we talked about in honoring and respecting and obeying. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> well, in closing, brotherhood can be built when there is a faithful leadership team that is well respected because the two work well together. When you have a leadership team that takes seriously the work and the authority and the responsibility that God has placed in their lives and they do well with that. And you have laity, you have a congregation that submits themselves to that and respects their authority 
then brotherhood will be built. And this is God's plan for his church, that men would be called to lead the church and that unity would be found as we submit to that. Why don't we kneel for prayer? Father in heaven, we come before you this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and your love to us. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings to us. You have blessed us in many ways. And thank you most of all for your example. Lord, as we see what you have done for us, you sent your son to die for us. And as we see as Jesus was here on this earth, how he submitted to the authority in his life. He submitted to his parents and he submitted to the will of his father that he gave up his life for us. And we thank you for that gift tonight, the gift of salvation, that we can have joy and we can have peace when our sins are washed in the blood of Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for this congregation. Thank you for bringing us together here tonight. And I just pray that you would Bless them. Bless the leadership here. Lord, you know their uh, strengths and weaknesses. And I just pray that you would help them to grow. Give them wisdom. Fill them with your spirit as they lead out and pastor in this congregation. Bless the laity here as well as they submit themselves to the authority that you have placed in their lives. I just pray that you would help them to find peace and joy in submitting to the authority that you have placed here. And I just pray that as they do that, that brotherhood could be built and that the church could be strengthened. So Lord, I just pray that you would give us a good night tonight, a good night of rest, watch over us as we leave this place, that you would be near to us and uh, bring us back tomorrow for another day if it's not against your will. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.